Hello, dear listeners. You are listening to the new episode of the European Values Podcast. My name is Michal Murat, and I am head of the Security Academy's educational program of the European Values Center for Security Policy. It's my big pleasure to be here today with Natalie Vogel, who is a senior fellow at EVC, where she monitors influence operations in the German language space. She has been following the latest political development in Germany. Hi, Natalie. Hello, and thank you for having me. We are happy. European Values Center for Security Policy is actively taking part in the Czech-German dialogue. As such, we aim at creating synergy effect between academics, journalists and think tankers, both in Berlin and Prague. Czech-German issues are on the agenda of the European Values Summit as well. European Values Center for Security Policy analysts regularly work on bilateral issues and participates in the events in both capital. Natalie, my first question will be, Germany has been going through a transformative process with the so-called Zeitenwende. What was it about? Can you please explain it in detail? Uh, well, the Zeitenwende, which has been uh, started by the new administration, the Scholz administration, um, was actually a reaction uh, to the invasion uh, of, of and the attack on Ukraine. Uh, until then, uh, the Federal Republic of Germany was stuck um, in a uh, foreign policy um, attitude, which you might uh, call um, very um, careful, very cautious, a policy of engagement towards uh, Russia, uh, which has been, of course, criticized by uh, several political figures at the time. But after 16 years of the Merkel administration, uh, this decisive turn was, uh, was undertaken by the Scholz um, administration because they were actually forced to. The situation was such that uh, Germany had been warned by senior allies and, and major allies about the imminent attack on Ukraine, yet was in a position of denial and refused to acknowledge what were actually uh, both um, data gained uh, from signals intelligence and human intelligence uh, coming from uh, our American allies and our British allies. Um, we had several um, cases where prominent figures uh, of political parties were actually even mocking the warnings uh, coming from Washington and London as and calling them alarmism and calling them uh, Cold War rhetorics. So, of course, um, on February 24th, um, the, the, the position of the German government was um, basically uh, being thrown in, in cold water and they had to, to act. And, and so um, this, this turn um, basically was, um, was almost a change of philosophy, not, not only a change of, of, um, of political assessment. Um, it's almost one year ago that um, Chancellor Scholz announced this uh, Zeitenwende. Um, and now uh, we don't see much happening on that turf, to be honest. Well, 
Uh, a billion has been um, announced and promised to the Bundeswehr to, um, to prep them up to the new challenges. And the 2% um, NATO GDP were also announced. And um, we have not seen any sign of this happening in the new budget, at the very contrary. So we can be quite skeptical. It's been quite a declaration that was made one year ago, but we don't see anything happening uh, yet, um, this is of course um, due to many um, uh, considerations which are of domestic nature, uh, but um, when pushes come to shove, we would like at, at least in Central Europe uh, to see much more happening, I guess. You've mentioned there were some uh, opposition voices or warnings against the Merkel-Russia policy coming from allies. But uh, could we see during the long rule of Angela Merkel and CDU in the German government uh, some voices from the uh, internal circles of CDU or coalition parties that were forming government with her? Well, um, if there were, uh, they were very silent. Um, and um, the people who have been criticizing the foreign policy stance of uh, the Social Democrats, because the Social Democrats held the foreign ministry for decades, uh, for one, at least one decade, <laughs> um, were, um, in, in a, in, were the silent minority. Uh, there was no such thing as a broad opposition to the Russia uh, policy um, within the SPD. Uh, that's quite different within the, S the, the CDU, but still uh, those people uh, such as, let me see, Norbert Röttgen, who had some, uh, some valid points to make, never really made it to the front row. They were kind of, uh, dare I say, a fee cliff. And uh, now, please come back to year 2022. Uh, have hybrid operations on German soil coming from Russia especially decreased or increased in this crucial year of the Zeitenwende? Right. So if we are to believe the domestic intelligence agency, the Verfassungsschutz, which is in charge of counterintelligence, the yearly report is not out yet, but uh, there are some quarterly reviews. Yes, there have been major uh, operations uh, going on. Um, of all types of hybrid um, of hybrid operations, uh, and if you look at um, what we know from uh, from different types of uh, active measures conducted by Russian intelligence services on German soil, we find everything. We find an increase of cyber attacks. We find uh, major infiltration operations. Uh, with the aim of disrupting the stability of the Russian, of the sorry, of the German political landscape, we find um, co-optation of civil movements uh, to um, and subversion of agendas. So uh, we found uh, these people within the um, the Querdenker movement. We find these people, of course, protesting. Uh, the, the, the efforts in support of Ukraine. We find a renewed infiltration of the pacifist movement. Uh, recently, Reuters had a very interesting uh, report on, um, on various demonstrations taking place in, uh, in Germany. And um, 
the various elements that had been used uh, to uh, subvert uh, um, protests and to infiltrate protests, uh, up to um, sports uh, organization and even Cossack organization on, on German uh, soil. And I happen to know um, quite a bit on that topic because up until 2016, I was the secretary of the Cossack Congress of America. So I'm very aware of the uh, measures of infiltration of Russian intelligence within uh, uh, such communities um, with, um, with Russian intelligence and in that case, uh, GRU officers uh, conducting uh, Cossack uh, trainings and, and, and Cossack uh, events. Uh, Reuters did a great job on this, um, and these organizations are actually um, hostile groups uh, that conduct intelligence operations. Uh, and they are not only present, by the way, on German soil, they also exist in Slovakia, they exist in the Czech Republic, they uh, exist also in Hungary. So this is something uh, we need to keep in mind. Uh, it, on the first uh, glance, it, it looks like a cultural uh, event. It's not. It is a measure of subversion. You've mentioned the positive role of journalists, in this case Reuters, Reuters in uh, dealing with uh, these hybrid operations. But uh, how successful are German institutions, authorities, in uh, dealing with uh, hybrid operations in Germany? That's, a, that's the one million dollar question. Um, I am quite um, reluctant to be all too critical of uh, security um, agencies because they operate within a legal framework which is restrictive. Uh, so um, it's not that they do not have the competence or they do not have, yes, the competence or the, uh, the experience or even that they don't know what they are talking about. We have to keep in mind that uh, West German services were uh, fighting uh, the Stasi during the, the Cold War uh, quite efficiently. Um, so the expertise has been at least there at that time, might have gone lost in between, but it's not that they are not, um, they are not, um, they don't know what they are uh, dealing with and they are very well trained. Uh, the problem is really of political nature. We have um, political, uh, the, the, the legislative and the executive uh, exert such a control and such a, a power over the intelligence services, which is understandable if you take the historical framework um, and, and the, 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 the German um, history of Stasi and, and, and the Third Reich, that you don't want to have... Um, uh, a, a surveillance state uh, going rogue is understandable, uh, but in some ways when Germany is facing such challenges you would want uh, an empowerment of the, of the intelligence services and it is not the case. It's not that they don't want to, it's, it's, it's that they cannot. I'll give you a very concrete example for you to grasp the problematic uh, issue. You, uh, the Verfassungsschutz the, um, is not allowed to control or monitor lawmakers. Makes sense. 
here is the problem. We have certain parties that have been co-opted and infiltrated by hostile entities. And here we know, because we deal here with such issues every day, we know about whom I'm speaking. Um, on the far right and on the far left, it is not uh, a thing that the Czech Republic is, uh, is immune to, and it's certainly not uh, the case in, in Germany either. But let's say a lawmaker meets or travels to Russia and meets with intelligence people who hand money or who uh, has meeting. And it doesn't even have to be abroad. It can be, um, it can be at home in Berlin. The hands of the domestic intelligence agency in Germany are tied. They cannot use sig signal intelligence, they cannot use human intelligence, and even if they happen to be given data and information about the activities of this lawmaker, as long as it does not break any law, you can't do anything. And I'm not exaggerating this, this is happening a lot in Germany. We have several members of the AfD who have uh, contacts to uh, non-allied embassies. It is absolutely impossible to monitor this for the counterintelligence. So I, I guess you get the grasp of the extent of the problematic situation. Now we have, of course, perhaps, thank God, allies and allies are allowed to, that's their job, to, uh, to conduct such operation. But of course, this is above my pay grade. <laughs> okay, and are German journalists or German public interested in uh, this kind of contacts of some politicians with uh, Russian embassy and Russian diplomats? Yes, but there is also a certain level of, operation, of uh, information overkill happening, which means that people read those things and it's all over again, the same thing, and people get tired of this. And of course, you have a fringe of the political landscape. People who vote for, uh, let's say, uh, for the AfD, uh, they say, well, thank God, at least, at least they are meeting the Russians to get it right. Or uh, even people on the far left fringe of, of the Communist Party have absolutely no problem um, with such issues. So they read articles and then they deem this propaganda. And um, uh, there is also a backlash effect. Uh, it's, uh, the, the press, the free press is attacked as being biased. Uh, or at the service of foreign countries or foreign powers. So this is also going on. And for us at, here at EVC who monitor such things, it is really um, quite striking because um, what happens is that we recognize patterns. We recognize that this is happening in Germany, but it is happening in many countries as well. So yes, the free press is, uh, is something that is a great asset for democracy and, and for defending um, uh, actually the security of, of a country because uh, they shake things up, but there are limits to what they can achieve. So those people exist in Germany um, uh, and, and, and it's good. Uh, 
we see that in, in neighboring countries uh, it's not always happening. Right? We see that the free press is attacked in Hungary, for instance, where they can't play that role and should play that role, actually. But except uh, from this part of active society who is interested in this kind of influence operation, there are as well in German society so-called Russland Versteher, those who understand the Russia and their position. They appear to have disappeared from, from public life, but are they really gone or just hidden for a short time? Um, yes, I would be cautious in, in claiming that, uh, <laughs> that they are gone. They are not gone. Uh, they've just moved on a different turf. So you will, f you, they used to have a great, um, a great audience um, and quite an impact because uh, uh, Russian uh, media in, in, in Germany, such as Russia Today, was broadcasting and giving them the opportunity to convey their message. Now, uh, Russia, Russia Today is gone. Um, and the fringe media which served uh, Russian interest are usually online. Uh, they move to telegram groups and uh, you find them also on TikTok. You have also a certain subculture of, um, of uh, protest against the war in Ukraine and usually you find them there. Also, you find them uh, on the turf of uh, people who protest the living cost, the, the rise of, uh, of prices and, and, and the cost of living. Um, and um, these people actually are still there. We had one good uh, thing happened recently with um, Gabriele Krone-Schmalz, who is a journalist prominently already uh, who sided in 2014 uh, after the annexation of Crimea. Uh, suggesting that, well, it was all too understandable because of the historical, debatable, according to her views, um, fact that uh, that Crimea was uh, was historically um, Ukrainian, which she doubted, uh, and and she. Uh, called for more understanding of the Russian position. She has been cultivated for many years now. Uh, it's, by the way, something we know also if we compare uh, what is happening in the Czech Republic and in Germany. The, the same people exist in, in, in Germany and, 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 in, and in the Czech Republic. And she sued a prominent historian uh, called Franziska Davis because Franziska Davis, who is a an excellent expert on Russian history and, and Eastern European uh, political systems uh, pointed out that uh, basically Mrs. Krone-Schmalz was carrying water for Russian propaganda. So Mrs. Krone-Schmalz sued Mrs. Davis, uh, who had horrendous uh, uh, cost, uh, lawyer uh, cost, uh, I think I read on Twitter something like 12,000 euros, uh, and uh, they went to court and Mrs. Davis won. So Mrs. Davis is allowed to say that Gabriele Krono-Schmalz is, is actually conveying pro-Russian uh, uh, pro Russian bias, at least has a very favorable uh, views on, on, on the current policy of the Kremlin. Um, and so Yes, those are milestone um, things because uh, it proves that 
uh, even if the Russian side is using lawfare, which is the, which they are never reluctant to uh, to take into consideration, they um, it happens on many level now that they use lawfare against people they are trying to silence. Um, the the German judicial system is aware of what's going on, obviously. So that's that's also very good. Have they uh, limited their um, their uh, activities? I'm speaking of the of the Russland Verstehe in academia, in journalism, uh, and multipliers, uh, let's say, in business. No, we have a strong lobby of people. Uh, who argue that the sanctions should be lifted because they damage our domestic economy. Um, we have uh, certain journalists uh, that appear, as I said, in those fringe media. They still exist, but what is happening, I think, is um, that the German target audience is getting more resilient. So, but we know that it's not the end of the story. We've learned that from the situation in the Czech Republic. It's not because the Russian operations do not succeed that they stop. They just look for another turf. And that might well happen also uh, in, uh, in the German contact context. And that's why we need to keep our eyes on the ball. And, uh, but I, I mean, Russian authorities are doing their job. Mm -hmm. And uh, what do you think is one of the reasons that German society became more resilient towards the Russland Fushtaha? Well, of course, the, the war in Ukraine um, might be uh, one reason. Um, I think that uh, the, the German authorities are getting their act together, uh, or at least have more, more freedom to, to do more. Um, And I never thought that it, that the, the the bad situation because let's let's face it, uh, I remember uh, several uh, Stratcop summits in the past where we were all wondering why are the German authorities not getting it. Um, I've come to realize that it was not that they were not getting it; is that they were not uh, allowed to do anything about it. Uh, because the political power was all about engagement, was all about um, uh, putting economic priorities before national security, was all about uh, doing it alone, uh, because uh, the, the decisions were never consulted with, with the allies, or at least their concerns were not uh, taken into consideration. Thinking about Nord Stream, I'm speak, speaking about the energy policy, uh, getting out of... Um, nuclear energy, etc., uh, etc. Et There are several levels of, of dependency that they have knowingly um, approved at governmental level without consultation. And then they've run into terrible situations uh, regarding their domestic security and realized, probably, my God, we were warned. And they know, I remember, I, I clearly remember uh, how prominent voices from the Baltic republics, from Poland, um, were sounding the alarm already. Uh, I mean, we have, we have all witnessed scenes at the Stratcom summit starting 2017, uh, where um, 
you would have said, my God, if I were a German decision maker, I would ask myself questions. Well, it took the second attack on, on Ukraine. They should have gotten their act together in 2014. But I think uh, what happened in February uh, last year is actually uh, the reason why this resilience mm -hmm. is, is more happening. Okay, uh, if you look back on the German reaction on uh, what happened in February 2022, one of the things that made uh, German allies nervous, especially those coming from Central and Eastern Europe, was the German relative uh, delay in acknowledging the urgency of a more assertive policy for Ukraine. Mm -hmm. uh, Germany was reluctant for a really long time to send, for example, main battle tanks and other heavy equipment to Ukraine in the necessary quantities. Do you have explanation for this reluctancy? I know that you've already mentioned some of the reasons, but mm -hmm. if you can elaborate on them more. Well, uh, of course, I knew I would be uh, discussing this with you, so I, I just looked uh, into the data from the from the German government, which uh, which you can find um, actually on the page of the Bundesregierung.de, and you have a subcategory on um, on the deliveries to Ukraine. Now, if you objectively look through the list, it, it's quite important. And yes, Germany uh, is um, prominently delivering um, um, to Ukraine. Just it took time to um, to deliver what was asked. <laughs> let me let me put it that way. And why? Well, if we are to believe the speech of um, Scholz today in front of the um, Bundestag, he adopted a step-by-step -step approach, um, consulting the with the allies. Uh, with regard to uh, to the deliveries of the leopard in that case, um, he mentioned many times that he had been in uh, constant contact with uh, with the senior allies, um, um, and um, that he was. He explained the fact that Germany had been reluctant to, to approve of these uh, deliveries in the first. Uh, uh, when first asked, because he wanted to prevent the Federal Republic of Germany to be dragged into um, into a co in an escalation of the conflict. That was his word. And he was questioned by uh, Jürgen Hart of the CDU, who said, but wh what changed, actually? We... Um, we don't see why it's okay now and it was not before. Um, and uh, Schultz tried to explain his hesitation. Um, Hart spoke of uh, uh, Schultz wanting to uh, avoid an alleged provoca provocation of the Russian Federation. And Schultz said... Uh, um, that it uh, would never be the case that the that Ger the Federal Republic of Germany um, is uh, is uh, uh, part and parcel of a policy of escalation, um, but it would uh, uh, it would be contrary to uh, Russian to German interests to um, to to rush into um, into this type of policy, and he explained the delay. With uh, with consultation with the allies, because the it is not the policy of the Federal Republic. I quote uh, to to do it alone, to go on uh, on this uh, alone, and um, it is uh, only happening in a multilateral context. Now, 
I understand this is the explanation, but we are smart enough to remember how many times the Federal Republic of Germany has done it on its own without consultation, as I mentioned, in many areas, be it in the Nord Stream, be it, uh, as I said, in their uh, energy policy, um, even in the migration policy. They didn't care very much in, uh, when it came to consultations. So, uh, yes, let's buy the explanation. We are all happy that Poland is allowed to deliver its leopard and other countries and that uh, the Federal Republic uh, will um, put uh, two tank battalions at, the, as, at uh, disposal, also agreed to training uh, of uh, Ukrainian um, military and uh, put the logistic um, at, at disposal uh, and allow other uh, allies to take part in that uh, policy of deliveries. That's the explanation. I personally think that he wanted to um, avoid domestic uh, problems towards his, its electorate, his electorate, who, um, who uh, tends to think that uh, Germany is being dragged into a conflict uh, that is not uh, Germany's conflict. But um, I think um, the electorate of the SPD will have to understand that uh, Russia needs to be defeated. And I think Scholz made the right decision right uh, today. Okay, let's hope so. But uh, Germany has got a coalition government, so there is a different electorate of different political parties. So do you think that from, let's say, midterm perspective, this might be the uh, reason for the uh, coalition government to fail or to bring well, some clash Schultz, into the coalition Schultz, government? I think Schultz, I mean, I'm not private to their conversations uh, at, at governmental level, but it was clear that the Greens were pushing and it was clear uh, that even the FDP uh, was not happy with the way um, Scholz handled uh, the, the, the issues of the leopard. And um, uh, what was really problematic is that, uh, on the one hand, the SPD was claiming um, to, uh, to um, envisage a new foreign policy where Germany would be leading the, the European train, if you will, on the other hand, <laughs> on the other hand, they were not. Um, there was a certain confusion in terms of foreign policy because we clearly could see that Baerbock did not agree with Schultz, um, and I think the reason why this is happening is that exactly the same way as Merkel did it, Schultz took the portfolio of Russia, and by the way, the one of China as well, with him to the Chancellery and entrusted this uh, to a circle of people who clearly overstepped their role, in my view. Uh, we have both Schmidt and Plattner, who are the advisors in foreign policy matters, who um, have uh, created some uh, difficult situations in inter-allied contexts. Um, and uh, and the actual diplomats at the foreign ministries were left to their own devices and witnessing the chancery 
having an Alleingang, as the Germans say, um, and it was difficult to hide the fact that they were not really happy about what was happening. So the, the, the coalition, I think, has been saved now by this decision of Schultz. It was truly endangered by what was happening uh, in the context of the uh, after Rammstein meeting. Um, will the coalition survive another crisis? I, I, I'm not. I'm not a specialist of those uh, of those uh, issues. Um, but it's certainly strange to see the way uh, the foreign policy advisors of Scholz handle both China and Russia. This is certainly from another time that we knew we knew from the pre-Zeitenwende. I think if you claim to be in a renewal, you need to renew the people too, get new f faces and get new ideas and and have a change of elite. Uh, if you take the old people, you are going to get um, the old policy. And this was the very last answer of Natalie Vogel, who is a senior fellow at EVC. And I promise to our listeners that we will still follow German politics and focus on Czech and German perspectives in the future. Thank you, Natalie. It was great to have you here in our podcast. Thank you very much for having me. And I would like to thank uh, to our listeners as well. Please follow our social media and subscribe to our newsletters. You will find all information on our website. And you can, of course, look forward to the new episode of European Values podcast. <laughs> <laughs>